Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Psychology Sisters podcast. Before jumping into today's episode, we would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Arabakul, Waramai, and Darul peoples on which the Psychology Sisters podcast is recorded today. We acknowledge both their history and their living present, as well as future generations. We invite you to take a moment to pay your respects to the traditional owners of the land in which you are joining us on today. Welcome back to another episode from the Psychology Sisters. We are two passionate professionals on a mission to deepen your understanding around mental health and start the conversations to break down stigma. Hosted by Kat, a registered psychologist, and Amy, a registered psychotherapist, from building our own online private practice, the Site Collaborative, to creating an e-course to help you care for your anxiety, we are so dedicated to bringing good quality, evidence-based information to you in easily digestible and accessible ways. Together we dive deep into the wonderfully complex world of psychology. everybody welcome back to another episode with the psychology sisters today we have the marvelous maddie joining us to talk about micro stress and savage self-care but before we get into today's episode maddie cat you beautiful humans how are you both maybe we'll start with you maddie what is your 411 what is the crappenin how has your week been what is your pit and peak all of the questions all at once <laughs> how's it going i'll take them all i'm really good i just been chilling. I feel like when I was trying to think of what my pit peak was, again, just not a lot is happening in my life. But my pit is actually just a little thing that happened yesterday. And if you're my client and you're listening to this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But I was on a session with a client and I kind of noticed Alfie in the background of the corner of my screen. And you know when dogs or cats or whatever are about to vomit, they do that like hunch. <laughs> and he, he was doing a hunch and I was like, she could see it, I could see it. And I was like, I think my dog's about to vomit. I'm so sorry. And did a big vomit on my screen. And so we dealt with that. But then I like in the back of my mind, was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like is he just going to keep vomiting? And I was trying – really hard to just like ignore him while he was doing it but I could not ignore the hunch on the screen <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh no so we dealt with that horrifying but it was fine and of course dogs never vomit on cement or tiles it's always on carpet I don't know what it is and it always is near you they come towards you and you can see it and you're like oh there's nothing I can do here <laughs> But my peak was I actually went home to Tamworth to visit my parents and finished my <laughs> – Sorry, I'm still visualising the hunch <laughs> and that internal dialogue. I can only – It's the hunch. Oh, the internal dialogue of like, oh, my gosh, is it going to vomit? Yeah. Yeah, and she was thinking the exact same thing. She was like – my cat does that too. And I was like, yep, there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, no. 
and there's nothing more humbling than that three seconds of I've got to make a decision here. Do I get up and try and stop it or do I just watch this? We watched. Watch this car <laughs> crash unfold. <laughs> yeah, we definitely watched. I can only imagine your dogs, Amy, like how big they are, how big that hunch probably is and how much probably comes out. But anyways, nothing about the gross <laughs> vomit chat. My peak was that I finished my semester of uni, so that was really good, but I had to go to Sydney for something last week, so my parents were babysitting my dog, so I just had to go home at the start of this week. It's nice when other people cook for you <laughs> and you can kind of just be a guest because like when I was living with them for a stage, I was like, it's just not the same. When, you, when you're when you an adult and you come home, you can kind of just feel guilt-free for like, yep, I'll let you cook for me you can go do this and whatnot. And it's just, yeah, it was really nice to have my mum cook for me. Oh, Maddie, that sounds amazing. It's so nice to be looked after and loved, especially after a week of being away. It's like, just love me, care for me. I feel like we always need our parents or just someone to care for us sometimes. Like that never goes away. It's like, just want to be looked after and loved. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Ames, how are you, my love? Pit and Peak 411, what is a crappening? Give us the rundown of your week. Yes. I don't know if I have a Pit and Peak as much as I have two reflections or observations that I was thinking of as, I guess, the high and low points of the week that has been. I guess my first one is probably more of the peak and have you ever had that experience of where you think you have this completely original thought, this like completely original experience and you think, ah, yes, you know, this is the wisdom of my brain and yeah, I have this, you know, completely unique experience. And then you listen to a podcast or you have a conversation with someone and then you realize you've never had an original thought in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I had this experience. I was listening to a podcast and it was around this feeling like during COVID, during the pandemic, you lost two good years. Like you lost those for me and my age, it was like the last two years of my 20s and this sense of like I was robbed. Those two years were stolen. It's like almost like you skipped two really important last two years of your 20s. And I was listening to this podcast and I was like, yes, like you have literally taken the words out of my mind because I've felt like that for a little while. I've, you know, almost just been like skipped ahead of those two years. And so, that was an experience of really being seen, <laughs> really seen. But also, I think I've been doing a lot of reflecting on just how fast this year seems to be going. I don't know about Maddie and Kat, but I saw a post on Instagram the other day that was like, there are four months left of the year. And I was like, that's not true. And that's not the scariest part of that post. The scariest part of that post is that it's actually closer to three months left of the year. And that was a little bit scary. So, like I said, not entirely a peak as much as I've been finding this week doing a lot of reflecting around time and just like this really kind of strange time of a lot of people being like, yep, COVID's done. We don't want to think about it. But also the residue around the pandemic seems to be lingering, not necessarily in an entirely negative way or like an impactful in terms of daily functioning way, but just kind of noticing, I guess, all of those smaller impacts, which is a great funnel for this 
whole episode, micro stress, how little things kind of build up. And I guess that is a peak because I'm aware of it and I've been doing a lot of introspection, which is a good thing. My pit is probably a little bit too much information. However, I thought important to talk about because I am passionate about normalizing conversations around hormones and psychology because I think it's often dismissed and I think a lot of people maybe hold shame and embarrassment around it and I really want to open up part of the conversation around that. So, my hit for this week is that I have had a noticeable shift in my energy and mood around my menstrual cycle and I've also experienced a lot of period pain. I do have polycystic ovaries. I was diagnosed in my early 20s with not the syndrome but polycystic ovaries and at the time I didn't even realize that there was a difference because my symptoms were very different and no one talked about it. So, I actually remember seeing a doctor because I didn't get a period for a year and I remember her saying to me, well, you don't have a lot of body hair and you're not overweight, so it's not polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I remember taking the pill as a way of regulating my menstrual cycle and was sent on my way, essentially. And sadly, this is a very common experience. So, for me, PCO often looks like very irregular cycles, not getting a period for months at a time. And I remember an ultrasound technician that I went to see a couple of years later describing it to me as a sleepy reproductive system. So, rather than being hyper and everything being like sped up, everything slows down, which at 23, I was like, woohoo, this is great. (laughs) Don't have to deal with that. Amazing. This is a very long-winded way of saying my pit is that I have noticed this time it's almost like a buildup of PMS. It's like, oh, haha, like you've escaped having a period for a, a few months and now it's going to be you know, a build-up more intense and I've just been really noticing the impact of having up and down hormones and how that has been affecting my mood. And I think it's really helpful to recognize that this is because my estrogen and progesterone levels are going up and down, you know, and that this is affecting my energy and my regulation. So, reminder to everyone, your hormones impact your mental health. You are not crazy And if something is out of the ordinary for you, go and speak to someone. And this can be very difficult to do because I think we can experience a lot of dismissal around women's health, but you know your body better than anyone and it's okay to advocate for yourself. So, I'm seeing a lot more clients be diagnosed with PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And so, it's something to really pay attention to. Your body is your home and if something feels out of the ordinary for you, very important to be curious about it, to pay attention to it and to advocate for yourself if something does feel up for you because that is definitely something that I have been paying a little bit more attention to in my own health. So, yes. What about you, Katniss? What is your pit and peak? Mm, Great reminder, Ames. Thank you for that. Very timely reminder. So needed. Hormones are so important and women are so underrepresented in the medical field. So, Thank you for that. I hope that you are okay. It sounds like a very tough few weeks of navigating all the hormonal changes alongside your introspection around time. Busy body, busy mind. <laughs> for you at the moment, that's <laughs> great. 
a great reminder. Not so much going on for me, honestly. I was sitting here thinking, as I always do, which is why I throw you guys under the bus first, what is my pit and peak? This will be both a pit and a peak. Uh, It is up to interpretation how you would like to perceive this. Ames has just had the most philosophical pit and peak, and mine is not. Mine is a mixture of is this embarrassing or is this a sign of being an adult? So the other day, any long-term listeners would know I have a very love-hate relationship with Uber Eats. And I, last time I spoke about Uber Eats on the podcast, I said, I'm going to stop. But the other day, I I can't explain what came over me. Was I possessed, perhaps? <laughs> you know how you just can't <laughs> stop thinking about a specific food? Do you know how until you have that specific thing, yeah. the world is not right. You can't go on. <laughs> I'm being a bit dramatic, but this is how I felt, right? I just, I need this specific thing. And it's been on my mind for about, I would say two yeah, weeks. A craving, the depths of your soul. Yeah, but not even a craving. It's like, I need this or else. Could it be an addiction that I probably need to work through? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> or else. <laughs> or else what? I don't know. I don't know it. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I was Someone like. Someone will suffer on the other <laughs> yes, side of this. There will be hell to pay. I don't know what I was so scared of. But anyway, welcome to my mind. And anyway, I'm sitting here. It's been about two weeks of craving this thing and needing this thing. I was like, fuck it. I'm an adult. I can go and get this thing. I can absolutely do this. It's okay that I have this thing. Okay, so. I was home alone and I'm so embarrassed. It's always when we're home alone. (laughs) I know. I know. I was home alone and I think it was honestly like 2.30 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon and I was like, all right, I can't stop thinking about this thing. I'm just going to order it. I'm just going to do it. Screw it. I can do it. You know what? If not now, when? So it comes to my door. And I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I was like, yes, this is the best. I'm on my own. I've got some ice cream with it. I ordered a full Coles chocolate mud cake and (laughs) I ate a full Coles chocolate mud cake (laughs) because it's been on my mind (laughs) for so long and it was a $4 mud cake that ended up costing with everything else about $25 (laughs) because I was so lazy to go and get it. This is my problem. So it's a pit because I'm – mortified but it's also a peak because I really power to me if I feel like cake at 2 30 p.m Saturday afternoon and it's nobody's birthday I can go and get that cake so that is my very <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> hidden peak of the week I love that yum I do Maddie this is the thing I'm not deprived trust me <laughs> I'm a well-fed human. <laughs> I just need these things in my life and I can't explain it. And yeah, yeah, it is. And I try and be like, nah, cat, you don't need this. It's a cake. I just needed it. So yeah, I, oops, I did it again. <laughs> in the wise words of Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. You know what? I, I reckon that is, a, that that's definitely a peak. Okay. And you know what? We don't need a birthday to have cake. There doesn't need to be, you know, a specific event or situation for you to have a cake at at two on on a Saturday. You are the celebration. You are the moment. You feel like cake. You have the cake, girlfriend. More power to you. I'm impressed. Nay, 
I'm inspired. I'm actually, it's cake, you know, and you know my affinity to cake. I know, which is why I was so nervous to bring it up because we've had a bit of a tense moment on the podcast before when I brought up that I'm in my cake girly era. And Amy, when we were in Bali, Maddie, she said to me, controversial, cake's not great. Cake is not deserving of being a dessert. And ever since then, I've been like, oh, I'm so ashamed because Amy's my best friend and she might judge me for my cake girly era. But I can't help it. I can't hide who I am. And <laughs> this is just Kate Gurley era is continuing, unfortunately. Nor should you. Do you know what this means for us, Kat? This means when we do have our cheat meals, okay, there will be so much more other things that I will get to eat. You will have your cake, your, your chalky mud cake from Coles in all of its cake glory and I will get to devour all of the cookie dough, the cookies. I knew you were going to say that. The cookie ice creams that we used to, yeah. (laughs) I love me some cookies. I'm also so hungry. I was saying to Maddie earlier, Kat, before you jumped on that I'm feeling really hungry today. So, this is sparking some. This is feeling her. <laughs> like mouth watering. Te- oh, I feel this. <laughs> but I think that is definitely a peak. And we should all embrace our cravings. So if we feel like something, there is no rules around what you can and can't have, when you can and can't have it, unless you, know, you have a medical condition or an intolerance or something like that. Celebrate yourself. <laughs> or unless you're a decent human being who has. Just respect for themselves like I should have. <laughs> like that would probably help. Josh saw in the bin and he goes, Did you eat a whole Coles mud cake? And I was like The judgment. Yeah. Oh, shamed you. <laughs> the judgment. I was like, Yeah, I did. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Anyway, but thank you for that inspiring talk, Ames. Thank you for letting me step into my power for being a cake early. I really appreciate the justification. I'm here for the empowerment. Now, without further ado, and enough of us waffling on, no pun intended, dessert, mm-hmm, waffles are also delicious. I would like to segue us into today's topic, which is all about micro stress. So, we are not talking the big ticket items. We are not talking natural disasters, moving home, separation, a divorce, a breakup, a global pandemic. Those are all very, very stressful, distressing situations, okay? We are actually talking about the smaller, insidious, compounding, insignificant events that can creep up. Things that happen that compound in our lives we may not even notice cause our stress. And we thought this was really, really interesting to talk about because of all the ripple effects that can come up when it comes to micro stresses in our life. And maybe I will handball this over to you, Maddie. When we talk about micro stresses, what are some of the things that can have this kind of compounding, rippling, accruing effect that can actually mean that smaller things in our life end up being bigger things later? When you hear the word micro stress, what do you think of? When I hear micro stress, I'm thinking micro small, right? So, it's like I think it can be quite easy to gloss over or even I guess not even notice the smaller stresses in life that we're exposed to every day. So, these things can be small, insignificant and as I said, things that you're not always kind of picking up on. A few examples of what it could look like is snoozing your alarm in the morning. I guess you said you're going to get up. Uh, A big one, which I think 
majority of us are probably guilty of is checking your phone as soon as you wake up. And if you see an email that is then going to change your whole trajectory of your day or plan, then in your first 10 minutes of your day, you already have that added stress of like, oh, how am I going to manage this? It could be getting stuck in traffic on the way to work, coming home to a messy house, hearing criticism about yourself. It's these small uh, stresses that add, add up and feel really uncomfortable, feel really stressful. It's those slow, slow movements that over time often pull us out of things that are, I guess, keep us healthy or reduce stress. So, you often see it when I think these are piling up, people firstly let go of their own self-care, their own things that bring them enjoyment or even like stopping a hobby that you used to really enjoy. Like if you play guitar or maybe you're prioritizing your work over catching up with a friend for coffee, those are those little things that add up. I was doing a little bit of research on this topic and I found a professor called Rob Cross who did some research on microstress, has put them into three categories. The first one is stresses that reduce or drain your capacity. It's kind of like those unexpected tasks that kind of pop up throughout the day that, as I said, like drain your capacity. A big one, if you're a parent, is probably anything that your children do that is unexpected. Could be them coming home with homework that you know you're going to have to help them do. So, having those, uh, I guess, high expectations of trying to want to do everything and then things that pop up throughout the day that are going to drain you. The second category is emotional impact of interactions. So, it could be those like confrontational conversations throughout your day, work. It can even be secondhand stress, that worry that you have for other people in your life that are going through a hard time. And then the last category is values misalignment, which is being pushed in ways that are slowly removing you from, I guess, who you want to be. So, if you take on a job where, and I can actually use my own example for this one, one of my core values is freedom. And when I started working at the site collaborative, that whilst in other ways was really different and had to manage some other things going on, it made me feel like I was really aligned with my value of freedom because of the flexibility of working from home, managing my calendar, and I've never felt so aligned with a core value of mine that I have in this job. And so, for people who maybe are working or living a life where you're not aligned to your values, that is an added stress of not feeling like you're being pushed towards who you want to be. So, in saying that, There's lots of different areas to look into micro stress. They're just some three categories that I've found that I guess produce a lot of our stresses and kind of can narrow them down a bit more. So well said. And I love having some categories can put some labels to them and make sense of them. Because I think when we think of micro stress, you're right. The word micro insinuates that they're small, but it's the accumulation of the micro that adds to the macro, right? And so people, yeah, as Amy was mentioning, we know what a macro stress is. We know losing your job. We know a relationship breakdown. We know those things are going to cause that 
a physiological response to stress. And this is the tricky thing about micro stress, right? Is we do not have the same physiological somatic response to micro stress. So therefore, it doesn't register as though something is wrong or something we need to pay attention to. And I think that's the difference between a macro and a micro stress. A micro stress is not going to put us into fight or flight. Right? A micro stress is not going to increase our heart rate to a dramatic level. It's not going to create those same somatic responses that we would typically get from a macro stress, which is why, you know, clinically we see, and I wonder if you two agree with this, that you might get someone who sits down and they say, there is nothing wrong in my life. I have a pretty good relationship and my job is stable and things are okay, but I just can't shake this feeling or I can't stop being overwhelmed or stressed. I don't know what is happening for me. And it's interesting because we don't have the labels or the narrative around that micro stresses are just as impactful as macro stresses, right? But because they're not normalized or acknowledged in society, we are ignoring them. We're not kind of acknowledging that the impact that they do have, right? So micro stresses, I would argue, are just as impactful, if not more, because firstly, we're not being aware of them. And secondly, we're not doing anything about them. If you had like a relationship breakdown, you know that this is big. I can acknowledge this within myself that this is a really big, stressful time for me. And in that moment, what might happen is I need to talk to my friends about this. I need to work through this. I need to look after myself in this really tough, challenging time. Whereas a series of micro stresses or mild inconveniences, as Amy and I always call them, what will happen is we won't acknowledge them. And so therefore, we won't do anything about them. Right. So they build up and they build up and they accumulate. And then suddenly you might feel, what is wrong with me? Why am I just feeling so off? Why can't I just switch off or sit still? Why am I so frustrated and angry all the time? Because we're not actually acknowledging the huge impact that micro stresses have. And that's the paradox of micro stresses is they're so invisible and their impact is so big. That can lead to a lot of cognitive dissonance and conflict of why am I feeling so shitty? <laughs> and sometimes we'll get, you know, when you're feeling so crappy and so stressed, you'll get a client to talk through their day and be like, okay, what happened today? And they're like, oh, well, I guess I snoozed my alarm and then, I don't know, my car broke down or whatever. So it's when you break it down, it's like, well, no wonder you're feeling really crappy. No wonder you're feeling really stressed, but you're not acknowledging that these things have such a direct impact on our mental health and our mood. So that's a tricky thing, right, about micro stresses is they're very invisible. Absolutely. I think that's such an important part that micro stresses are actually so damaging and have such a big impact because our bodies and our brain are not registering them as a threat. So stress can be healthy when it's adaptive. You know, we get that fight flight response that allows us to adapt to whatever the threat or whatever the problem in our environment is. And then it goes away. It moves along quickly. But exactly like you're both saying with a micro stress, it's this accumulation. It's this compounding nature without our body and our brain's recognition that we need an adaptation. We need something else in order to cope with what's happening 
for us. And I think sometimes it can be like this slow erosion of our capacity or our tolerance of how we're coping with things. You know, sometimes what we'll hear a client say is they'll describe an event or something that happened in their lives and they'll be like, I don't know why this is such a big deal for me. I don't know why this thing that happened, you know, this is going to sound really silly when I say it out loud, but this thing really bothered me. And as you unpack it, it's like, yes, that event upset you or was stressful or frustrating, but it's also the compounding nature of everything else that surrounded that event that might have made that the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. A really huge part of what we're talking about here is that micro-stress is so pervasive in terms of its damage and erosion to our tolerance and our capacity and our threshold of coping with everything else that happens in our life. Something that can be helpful to think about here and what I'll often describe to clients that are experiencing the accrue of micro stress or this kind of like compounding effect of small things happening often, you know, one thing after another. And that isolated event, perhaps I would have been able to cope with, I would have been able to go with the ebb and flow of that. But because it's been like, I didn't get a very good night's sleep and then I slept through my alarm and then I was running late for work and then I spilt my coffee on my shirt and then I felt embarrassed you know, meeting my new boss for this important presentation. And then that filtered into how worthy and valuable I feel. And then I came home and I had an argument with my partner because I felt like crap about myself. It all compounds. And then I felt like I wasn't a good parent because the way I showed up to my child, you know, maybe I took my stress out on them. And so, all of these things, it's kind of like having a little bit of stress is good, okay? A little bit of stress is healthy and adaptive. Micro stress is kind of like, say, adaptive stress was an IV drip and you have that when your body needs something. You have that when your body needs that extra injection of adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine and epinephrine to pump that into your body to be able to respond to a threat. Micro stress is kind of like if that IV drip was left in your body and you're just getting this small drip, this small droplet of consistent cortisol, consistent stress, but it's small enough so that your body doesn't detect it but it's still having that impact over time. Okay, so it ends up actually filtering into chronic stress and that impacts our immune system. It impacts our digestive system, our endocrine system, our reproductive system, our musculoskeletal system. It actually ends up having a huge flow on effect physiologically, even though we don't experience the physiological cue and trigger that something is stressful. And exactly like you're saying, Kat, that kind of is such a paradox. My body is still getting this drip feed that there's something wrong, but I haven't been able to identify that something is wrong. Therefore, our brains aren't triggering the same kind of protection and higher order mechanisms that might occur in the face of something bigger. And I think what happens there is exactly like you both mentioned, we then start to think, well, I just need to push through. This thing that's happening isn't big enough for me to pay attention to it. So, I should just be able to cope with this. I should be able to handle this. Like, What is wrong with me or what don't I have enough on of? And often this sounds like resilience. You know, I just need to be more resilient to be able to handle all this. And I think we can really do a number on ourselves there because you're not meant to handle all of this. You're not meant to handle all of this. 
it's not a problem to do with you. I think hustle culture and having a very achievement-focused society, this kind of do more, have a side hustle, be better, be better, be better, really has a lot to answer for in terms of micro-stress and the detrimental effects. And I really wanted to get your thoughts on this Cat and Maddie, and maybe I'll throw it over to you, Cat, or whoever feels like they want to jump in and answer this without throwing anyone under the bus. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this hustle culture and having a very success achievement focused society in general, having this ripple effect of micro stress where we ignore the smaller things or seemingly small things that actually do have a really big impact on us. What are your thoughts around that? Great question I think absolutely hustle culture plays into this and it's if a micro stress is anything that is unexpected or unanticipated then hustle culture is full of that when you really break it down hustle culture almost normalizes micro stress hustle culture is the extra work that you do the productivity the identity that is tied to being efficient when all of those things are just more stresses. So when you think about getting that extra email, doing extra work, staying late after work, wouldn't that all accumulate to micro stress? And those things are actually deified and celebrated in hustle culture. So to a degree, I also wonder if hustle culture celebrates micro stress and almost shows micro stress in a bit of a positive, productive, efficient light. To be busy is to be effective, is to be efficient, is to be valued. And actually being busy is the accumulation of a lot of small micro stresses underneath the telescope, right? So I wonder if, I guess my viewpoint might be that hustle culture is the very thing that not just accepts (laughs) micro stress, but celebrates micro stress as part of what is normal, of what you should be doing. You cannot be a hustler, (laughs) without experiencing stress. but I'm a hustler, babe. Yeah, I'm a hustler, babe. It's reinforced. (laughs) It is. And celebrated, (laughs) right? So, So I think that it's ironic because hustle culture does exactly the opposite of what we should be doing in micro stress is about, and I know we'll get into this, acknowledging, validating, making space that we don't always have the capacity to cope with so much micro stress all the time. We have capacity to cope with it sometimes. But I think hustle culture is that we expect you to cope with micro stresses all the time. And that's where the undoing is, right? What are your thoughts on hustle culture and micro stress? I agree with everything you've said. I feel like it's also been talked a lot about in the sense where in the generations, like, to work hard is celebrated and you get validation from it and not just from yourself and feeling like you've achieved but from other people and I think that other people's opinions on what hard work looks like plays a lot into I guess how we see hustle culture and if you are getting results from hustling you're going to want to keep doing it however with hustle culture you often see burnout And I feel like that's not talked about a lot. And it's, I guess, to put like a more of a background around it, it's that like what Amy was saying, with micro stress, the more that it accumulates, it turns into a macro stress. And when you've got uh, chronic stress or a macro stress, 
your body is in constant state of stress. If your body's in that state, it's releasing the stress hormone of cortisol, which you were saying, Amy. And if you're doing that for a long period of time and you've got elevated cortisol levels, the way that that levels out eventually is your body has to go into a state of rest and that's how that levels out. So, if you're constantly going, 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 then that cortisol level is actually never going to rest. And so, if your cortisol levels are really, really high, that's where burnout starts to come through. And that's where you notice not only mentally, like I'm struggling, but like physically, your body I think a lot of people would describe burnout as your body just gets so run down and that's where that immune issues start to come through. That's where the muscle issues come through as well as mental issues as well and like struggling there. You think about hustle culture whilst, yes, it does shed a light on achieving things and feeling like you're uh, being productive and getting things done and also getting validation from people that going, yes, like you're such a hard worker and maybe you live a more of a balanced lifestyle and people might think that, oh, they don't do enough. But I don't think that people always link burnout with hustle culture and that's what the issue is is that eventually people hit that point of burnout if you're not allowing yourself time to rest we are interrupting today's episode to tell you all about our new community the thriving therapists if you are a mental health care practitioner looking to gain community and develop confidence we got you We understand how isolating and lost you can feel in this field, and we know how much this would have been so helpful ourselves as emerging therapists. So, we have created a safe space where you can connect with like-minded therapists. Come and join us at The Thriving Therapist if you're wanting to propel your confidence, find community, and learn from the wisdom of others in your field. Thrive not just in your personal life, but in your professional life too. We have included the link to our Facebook community and our Instagram in our show notes for you to find out more. Now, let's get back into the episode. Oh, absolutely. I think you've both hit the nail on the head there. Just further to that, what it sets up is that if I'm finding something easy, I'm not doing enough. It's almost like this sense of ease as a bad thing. Okay, if something is easy for me to do, I must not be trying hard enough. Almost like this narrative of I'm letting myself off the hook. If I'm not working harder, trying harder, growing more, it's like I always have to be doing more in order to be efficient, to be growing, to be achieving, to be worthy. So, it's this sense of my worth or how successful I feel comes from how much I'm burning myself out, which is so, so backwards because oftentimes I say this a lot to clients, rest is actually the most productive thing you can do. If we're not preserving your energy, if we're not looking after your body, your mind, you will get sick. You will run yourself into the ground. Your emotional regulation capacity will suffer sometimes having that intentional space for rest is how we grow, is how we achieve. And I think what can happen too is this can be a real cycle of, well, the more busy I am, the better I feel about myself. And so, my self-worth comes from how hard I'm working and how much effort I'm putting into something or how much I'm doing all the time. And that alleviates the negative feelings or the negative perception that I have on myself. 
and that filters into my self-worth and, and how valued I am. And so then if my value and my worth comes from how hard I'm working, then exactly what you're both saying, I'm always going to be experiencing this sense of stress or unease around productivity and I guess keeping myself busy, which means I'm never able to really be with myself, be present with myself, to enjoy where I am with what I'm doing. So I actually never am able to connect to that success or connect to that achievement because the worth comes from how busy I am. So I'm never present enough to be able to receive that I'm proud of myself, okay, that I can be here and be proud of what I've achieved or, wow, look how hard I worked and I was able to get to here and what allowed me to do that, you know, really enjoying that feeling because that ease, that kind of slowing down or being present becomes something that is incredibly uncomfortable and almost becomes like a bad thing, right? Like, oh, no, I can't stay still for too long. I have to be always working, always growing, always blooming and always on to the next thing so that nothing actually satisfies me. It's almost like this never-ending chase for achievement, if that makes sense. I think that can be one of those really insidious factors when it comes to micro-stress is when we have this kind of hustle culture that perpetuates constantly being busy and having busyness as a badge of honor, that then almost becomes a mechanism to filter into worth when we don't feel good with who we are, essentially. So, I I think it can really filter and have that quite damaging, pervasive ripple effect of how we then become quite disconnected from self. So, with that being said, I'm curious what are your tips on how to combat micro-stress? I want your most savage self-care tips on how to prevent micro-stress, how to look after our bodies and our minds with this hustle culture and this achievement-focused society. Maybe I'll start with you, Kat. Give me your most savage self-care tips. Savage self-care is not something that rings true within our vocabulary, the psychology sisters, but I really, really want to do this justice. For anyone that doesn't know savage self care is like hard truths. What are the kind of hard truths that you need to hear when we're talking about how to navigate micro stress? I want to firstly start with a question that I often ask myself and I think could be really, really helpful here in these situations. Firstly, you know, this isn't savage, but validate and acknowledge that this exists and this is real and micro stress impacts on you more than what you realize. But a question that I want you to be asking yourself when you're feeling perhaps a bit overwhelmed or noticing, you know, stress building up, the question is, is this worth my cortisol? Okay. And that can sound absolutely ridiculous, but essentially cortisol is the neurotransmitter and the hormone that is so damaging to your health, right? Not just your physical health, but your mental health. Is this worth my cortisol? You know, cortisol will shoot up when you get that email. It'll shoot up when you have a really difficult conversation with a friend, right? Is this worth my cortisol? Sometimes, absolutely. But there are sometimes there are things that when you're feeling this high stress period and just feeling like you're juggling a hundred glass balls, is all of these things worth it? Do I need to prioritize something here? Do I need to step away from something here? Right? Because when we're juggling glass balls, we need to remember that some of them are plastic and can be dropped. 
okay? And not all of them are worth your cortisol. We only have a finite amount (laughs) of capacity. (laughs) Is it worth my cortisol? So that would be my number one tip. This is another tip um, from the study. Maddie, you were mentioning earlier about Cross and Dylan. They were the two professors who really were the pioneers into looking into microstress. And what they found is the people that were able to deal with microstress the best were doing two things differently to the rest. They were carving out time for themselves. They were being really assertive with their time and they knew that their hobbies, their self-care time and their rest time, as Amy was mentioning, was just as important as their other time. So they were really, really strict and assertive with their boundaries. So being strict and assertive with your time is really important. But they also found what they also did was they were very altruistic. So what they did was they carved out time in their schedule to help, to support. And what they found was altruism was the antidote to a lot of the micro stress impacts on our body, right? So carving out time to support, to help, to whatever that might look like for you can be really, really helpful. Another thing that they found was the people around us are more likely to cause us micro stress than the people on our periphery. So what I'm talking about is our friends, it's our family, it's our partner. They are much more likely to cause us this micro stress than uh, our boss, than that jerk on the street. Who is in your circle? What are you noticing? Who do you find you're feeling stressed about often? Looking at how do you feel when you talk to someone close to you? What does that feel like for you? Are you noticing you're getting quite stressed but can't put your finger on it? Exploring that. What are the people around you doing to you? Are they causing a bit of a micro stress around you? So that would be my quick tips, my savage self-care tips into managing micro stress. Maddie. Hit us with your savage self-care, savage hard truths for navigating micro-stress. I have very similar ones to you, <laughs> but I'm going to try and change them a little bit. So uh, another thing that Cross said was it's kind of a confronting question as well, but what am I doing to add to my stress? So, for example, just those little things that you are doing that are almost self-sabotaging picking your phone up and looking at your emails first thing in your day, is that adding to your stress? Probably. So, and I do it. It's actually something I'm going to declare here. I'm going to try and stop doing. Asking yourself those little things, what am I doing in my day that is adding to this? Because we all have the amount of capacity and if you can limit a few things, then that's within your control. Other ones that are really assertive is boundary setting, is knowing where your limits are, knowing how much you can take on, knowing how much you can give to others, getting really clear around what boundaries you want to set. Work, home, everywhere can be really helpful in looking after yourself. And to add on to cats a bit more, something I've found really helpful is time blocking and being really clear about it. And time blocking is not only with work, exactly what Kat was saying, is time blocking time for yourself and being unapologetic about it. So if you are needing to work late after work, this is actually a really good tip someone gave me, is that most people take work home with them. I think majority of people often having set their computer up at home and do some work. And that's okay. Sometimes like that's a part of your job. But if you can limit that to one night or two nights and then have set times where you don't do that and it's dedicated time to being with family or 
just chilling and watching TV, setting your day up in time blocks can be really helpful to hold yourself accountable, especially if you're a structured person, but hold yourself accountable to work hard in your moments of working hard and then relaxing hard as much as you can in your other set times. And my last tip is a bit more of a practical tip. And Amy, when you were speaking about have you ever thought that like you've created something or it's like an original idea, I am convinced that I created (laughs) progressive muscle relaxation because since I was little, that is one way I've helped myself fall to sleep is by imagining from head to toe, I'm like relaxing every muscle. And then through my studies, I've discovered that that's actually a theory and I should have thought of that earlier. (laughs) But progressive muscle relaxation is a really helpful technique if you do notice that your stress is turning more into macro, maybe you're starting to notice that you're carrying a lot of tension in your body. And you can just Google progressive muscle relaxations, heaps of guides on how to do it, but it pretty much runs you through head to toe, tensing each muscle group and then relaxing it and emphasizing on relaxing it. And it can be really helpful to de-stress your body because often, I don't know about you guys, but I carry so much tension in my jaw and shoulders and not even realizing it. It's just those little things in the day where I'll be like, oh, I'm clenching my jaw. And so having a think about going through and relaxing all your muscles can be helpful for releasing tension and even more helpful for sleeping. Both phenomenal tips. Such amazing, savage self-care techniques from you both. I don't have too much more to add. The only other things that I will suggest on top of your already wonderful tips from a very practical Perspective, a morning routine. How you start your day sets the tone for your day. And I think this is not about doing more. If you are already experiencing a compounding nature of stress, like maybe you wake up and your alarm goes off and that is already a micro stress. You know, your alarm goes off and you're like, holy crap, it's today and I have so much to do or like, oh, I've snoozed my alarm three times and I'm already stressed within three seconds of actually being awake. This is not about adding more to that to-do list. Having a really wonderful morning ritual. I actually prefer the term morning ritual as opposed to routine because I think sometimes it can essentially, again, be that never-ending demand on self of all the things that I have to do. So, thinking of it as more of a savage ritual, like a non-negotiable, unapologetic morning ritual, the things that I will do religiously to ensure that I'm setting a really good tone for myself for the day and make it easy. It doesn't have to be hard in order for it to be effective. I think that's something that we can misinterpret a lot of the time that in order for something to be effective and worth my while and to achieve or be successful in some way, it has to be really hard. Effort does not always account for reward, especially when it comes to our well-being. Sometimes it's actually about the smaller things, which is really, really interesting. We're talking about how small things add up. Okay, well, it works the other way too. Little acts of self-care, rituals, consistency adds up into an, an expanded threshold, a larger capacity, an overall general sense of feeling more well. A couple of things that can be helpful to implement into your morning ritual is an element of movement. Again, do not make this something hard. This doesn't mean that you have to go for an hour-long run every morning. 
something that I have started doing is I have a morning coffee and while my kettle is boiling, I will just pick some movements to do. It might be that I'll stretch, takes about three to five minutes for the kettle to boil depending on how much water's in there and I might do something like practice some stretching, I might do some little squats or I might get out my booty band and do some lateral walks while the kettle is boiling. I've moved my body in the morning and that's made me feel really good without this need to like make it something huge or make it be this really big hard thing. I've moved my body something mindful. You're both talking about how our phone can be such a micro stress. So, what I have started doing as well in the morning is not checking my phone first thing in the morning. I'm avoiding that email that makes me panic and be like, oh crap, another thing that I have to do before I've even wiped the crust out of my eyes. I don't check my emails until I'm at work. Again, this is kind of like boundaries as well, right? Like that morning ritual is sacred and I'm not going to allow that to be interrupted or disrupted outside of what it's intended for. So, that's really important. Movement, mindfulness, and it's intentional. It's conscious. Okay, these are the things that I need to do to set myself up to have a really, really great morning and I'm going to be savage with it because I know that if I don't, you know, if I check my phone and I see that email, maybe then I miss my five-minute window of movement because I'm too busy responding to that email. I miss the little things that make me feel good. So, make it something easy so that you'll do it and this sets your day up to expand your tolerance and we're building healthy habits. My tip number two filters into this and this is to have daily non-negotiables. If you are a client of mine, you would have heard this. I beat this to death when it comes to reducing the alarm signal in our body and regulating a nervous system to have a healthy nervous system, to have an expanded window of tolerance, to come back to homeostasis. And this is your body budget. Think of your body, your whole organism, like a bank account. What goes in and what's coming out? If we have a lot of bills, one single bill may not break the bank, okay? But if we have a lot of bills coming up in one month, okay, and not a lot of funds going into our bank account, we are going to get depleted. We are going to go into over-withdrawal mode and the bank's going to start calling us and we're going to get in debt. Our body is very, very similar. Even things like sleep, sleep debt is a legitimate thing. So, looking at your body budget, making sure that you are depositing enough of what you need in terms of nourishment and sleep and connection into your body bank, your body budget, to cover the depletions or the bills, if you will, that are coming out. So, your daily non-negotiables might be things like getting enough sleep, having a consistent bedtime. It's your nourishment. What am I consuming? What am I feeding myself? And this is your social media diet too. What is the nourishment that I'm getting? Am I consuming something that makes me feel shitty about myself? Am I consuming too much junk? Movement, making sure that I'm getting enough movement to get those healthy neurotransmitters going through my body and to release stress and tension from my muscles and connection. Connection to myself and connection to others. Connection comes. Very, very important. The third thing that I will mention here, which is really, really important that you both have touched on, is scheduling, time blocking, that type of thing. Super, super important. And a huge part of that is breaking the habit of self-interruption. Sometimes we can think that we are being productive when we are actually interrupting ourselves. I am very prone to doing this. 
when I have a busy in my mind, I'm noticing a lot of competing priorities coming up. And it's something that I've had to be very conscious of becoming uninterruptible. Okay. If that is even a word, this is part of savage self-care to be uninterruptible. For example, I might have something that is a priority, there is a little bit of pressure around it. Again, a micro stress, okay? A little bit of pressure, it's time consuming. It might be taking away from something that I enjoy doing. And what I might do is as I sit down at my computer to do this important thing, I'm just going to check my emails. And then I might spend half an hour or 40 minutes emailing and tell myself like, okay, I ticked off client emails on my to-do list. But what I haven't done is the very thing that I sat down to do, which causes that stress to accumulate, okay? Because now that thing that I didn't do has become bigger. It's now going to demand more time, more energy, and take away from something else elsewhere because I interrupted that time that I allocated for it. It sounds like something that is so small, but as we're mentioning, these small things build up and self-interruption can really wreak havoc on our stress, on our sense of self-efficacy, on our efficiency, and our overall trust in ourselves that we can get things done. Because the more we get into a habit of doing things, the more we feel like, oh, I'm overwhelmed and I'm not capable. Okay, so self-interruption is huge. The other thing that I will mention that you both touched on is values and boundaries. One thing that I have noticed becomes incredibly hard when it comes to micro stress is if you are a people pleaser. Because if you are a people pleaser, someone saying to you, you need better boundaries is like someone saying to someone that experiences anxiety, you just need to calm down. It feels impossible because please and appease mode is a survival mechanism. It's not a choice. It's more like a automatic compulsion to prioritize or to focus on the needs of others or to go into that kind of appease or go with the flow mode. So, what can be helpful when we are starting to figure out what the heck our boundaries even are or what does a boundary even look like for me because I'm very much focused on others and as we're mentioning, that can be a form of micro stress, is going back to values. What actually matters to me? What's important to me and how come? And once I'm able to recognize and identify what matters to me and what's important to me, I've established a value. And once I've established a value, I might be able to start introducing a boundary around what matters and what's important to me because I understand why. It can make the boundary feel less threatening in terms of putting yourself first. So that can be really, really helpful as well. But that is a very long-winded savage self-care. It wasn't quick at all. So, (laughs) thank you for listening to me ramble on about that. It has been an absolute pleasure to share this space with you both today, as always. But I especially enjoyed this conversation, perhaps because I can relate to micro-stress a little bit too closely. (laughs) But I know that a lot of people will get so much out of this. So, thank you both so much. Thank you, Ames. Thank you so much. They are wonderful. Such great tips. And thank you, Maddie, as well for sharing. I think people will absolutely get a lot out of this episode. So, thank you, guys. This is our final trio episode for the year. So, thank you, Maddie, for joining us. Thank you so much for coming along this ride with us this year. We really appreciate it. We'll be all together again. The gang will be back next year. I'm very excited for it. But thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom too, Maddie, this year. Thank you. I love coming on and 
talking about all the topics. So thank you for having me. I hope people are getting some stuff from it. But yeah, be back next year, hopefully. Oh, of course, Maddie. We can't wait to have you back next year. Just on that, people that listen to the Psychology Sisters, if you do like this podcast, it would really, really help us out for you to leave some feedback, to like, to follow our podcast channel. It really makes a difference. It allows us to keep going. It also lets us know what you are interested in. We love hearing from you. We love receiving feedback. So, if it's not too much to ask and and you do feel like you would like to support us a little bit more than you already do by listening, which we appreciate so much, a like, a follow, a feedback of any nature really goes a long way and much less appreciation in advance. But yes thank you so much we will be back all right thanks guys bye hey guys just adding a disclosure this episode is not intended to replace personalized psychological advice and it is always intended to be general in nature this episode does not take into account your own individual experiences we always recommend you seek personalized professional psychological support thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode if you want to support the show it would mean the world to us if you could leave a review this also helps us sneak our way into more ears if you'd like to follow us or learn more please follow us at the psychology sisters or at the site collaborative on instagram if you'd like more info on our private practice please visit www.thesitecollaborative.com all of this info will be in our show notes we will see you next time guys bye